As we come to God's word, we need his help, so let us begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have recorded for us by your appointed apostles who were moved by your spirit, the things that Jesus said and did, and that it was preserved, that as the apostle John writes at the end of his gospel, that we may believe in him, and that by believing in him we may have life in his name. Lord, give us your spirit so that we would have ears to hear, that we would be changed, that your word would be illuminated to our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our sermon series in John's Gospel, and if you weren't here with us last week, I want to remind you of where we are at. So Jesus had just finished uh, the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. He had told them about where he was going and given them these great acts of love, assuring them that he is going to come again and that the Holy Spirit is going to come and it is going to be better for them. And then last week, we come to this passage of the true vine, Jesus being the vine that the branches must abide in in order to have life. And that the Father is going to prune away all of the unnecessary growth on the fruitful branch so that it will bear more fruit and to cut away the dead branches that are fruitless. And if you remember, the takeaway from last week was this imagery of abiding, abiding in Christ, abiding in his word, abiding in his love. And my exhortation to us was that we would be people who are abiding in prayer, abiding in God's word. The things that seem so difficult for us are the very essence of the things that will sustain us through difficulty. The things that Jesus is preparing his disciples to endure that we see in our passage. It's not a disconnect from last week where he talked about the vine and now he's going to talk about something else. Instead, he is going to tell them about the implication of what's going to happen if they truly abide in him and in his word and in his love. And if they do the things that Jesus did and say the things that Jesus said, if they are sent like Jesus was sent by the Father, well, they should expect to have a similar fate We all want to be in the vine and receive the benefits of Christ, right? We all want justification by faith alone. We want to know that we have received the love of God. And yet Jesus says that by abiding in him and receiving all of the nutrients from the vine, so with it is also going to come the life that he lived. A life that is unpleasant that was full of rejection and hatred from those around him. He's preparing his disciples for what we all know happens in the story. As Jesus goes and is raised from the dead and has his last exhortation to the disciples and is ascended into heaven, we know the disciples go out and they face great persecution, great hatred. Many of them are slandered, beaten, put to death. 
Jesus doesn't want them to be surprised or to think something is happening outside of what God intended. But what Jesus is getting at here in particular is really the end of our verse. The end of our passage. He talks about the two witnesses that are going to go out. He talks about the Holy Spirit, the helper who is going to come and he is going to bear witness about him. And they too are going to bear witness about Jesus because they have been with him from the beginning. But Jesus tells us the purpose in reminding him reminding these disciples of why he is telling them these things. It is so that they will not fall away. So that they will not fall away. There will be a day coming soon where they will want to fall away, where they will be tempted to the very edge of their life, and they will want to fall away. something they've already seen as Judas has fallen away. They've already been warned that Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. And if they are going to participate in the mission of Jesus Christ in the world, it is going to cause them to be hated. It will even cause them to consider denying the Lord himself. These two witnesses, the Spirit and the disciples. If you want to know, the the word for witness is where we get the word martyr. And that's taken on that association in our English language for a reason. Because those who bore witness to Jesus were often those who were put to death. We can think even as soon as Stephen preaching to those in Jerusalem, being put to death by stoning, as the passage here tells us, thinking that they are offering service to God. Jesus is being very clear here about the type of hatred that is going to come upon his disciples. It says that, uh, verse 18, the world will hate you if you belong to Jesus. Verse 20, they will persecute you. Verse 27, those who are witnesses, moving into verse 1, will be tempted to fall away. They will be put out of synagogues, verse 2 of chapter 16, and they will be killed for false religious motives. Hatred, persecution, hatred, persecution. It's the repeated word and theme of this passage. But notice, all of this is being done falsely, that it might be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. It brings to mind words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are those, right? If you're familiar with that portion of Scripture. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account. When you're reviled and persecuted and they are uttering all sorts of evil against you, 
falsely on the account of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those who have come into the world to proclaim the truth of God have always faced persecution, have always been slandered, have always been falsely ridiculed. The prophets of old, Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. And of course, those who belong to him should expect no different. We're told that those who belong to Jesus will be hated because they hate him, because they are not of this world, because they are keeping his word, and because they have false religious beliefs. It's a difficult passage for us to consider, especially as people who probably have not experienced even much discomfort for belonging to our Lord. It's a challenge to me as I read this passage. You know, the context here is the disciples, right? And we know they are the ones who are appointed to do the Great Commission, to go do this mission, to experience this thing. And yet, it's not so narrow that it doesn't apply to all of the church. We see these themes of suffering and persecution picked up all over the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, we read uh, from Romans a little earlier, the Apostle Paul reminds us this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Sounds good so far. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. We want to be heirs of Christ's riches and not of his suffering, and yet they are intrinsically tied together. Paul writes to the Philippians, says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. We ought to live lives that are worthy of the gospel so that whether I come or I see you or absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving by, side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. It has been granted to you. It is a privilege for you to suffer for Jesus' name. You can think of the apostles uh, early on in the book of Acts when they were arrested for preaching in Jesus' name, and they were told that uh, they needed to stop doing that, and they told the religious leaders... We cannot. We must honor God rather than man. And they're put into jail. And 
eventually they're miraculously taken out of jail. And what do they go back and do? They go back to the temple and they're preaching again. And when they're found out, they are beaten. And after being warned again not to preach in Jesus' name, they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. What a foreign concept to us. There is a lot of hatred in our world today. We can be hated for lots of things. Indeed, we probably are hated for certain things especially if we're active social media folk. It's easy to stir up hatred for other things in our lives, to take positions on political issues, uh, even something as trivial as being hated because you love the opposing team. We can see these dynamics in which we bear witness about our beliefs on certain things, and it causes us to have these divides in the world. But what Jesus is talking about is something that is far greater than any mere political debate. In fact, what Jesus is calling us to here, the blessedness of those who suffer for Christ's sake, has nothing to do with our earthly concerns whatsoever. It is of no value for us to be hated for our position on any current event. What Jesus is telling us is that we are blessed, that he is with us, that he will send his helper to be with us, the Holy Spirit, for those who are hated falsely on account of his name for belonging to him, for abiding in his word, for proclaiming the truth of his gospel. It is a spiritual reality of the world and Christ who has come into it. This is why the Holy Spirit must be the one who is coming alongside to bear witness. We can see these verses and we can think about the way in which the church ought to prop itself up against the world and and preach against the world and how wicked it is. Indeed, there are many churches who do that. And maybe there's some truth to that approach to engaging the world around us. And yet, as we see this juxtaposition from what Jesus has called his disciples to do, to to love one another, to imitate what he has shown them in washing one another's feet and going out not as people who are going to respond in hate to the hatred, but going out in truth and in love and being hated anyways. It's easy to pick a fight. It's easy for us to have this martyr complex. It's much harder to be slandered unrighteously. And for the thing that Jesus is really getting at here, perhaps a question that we ought to ponder in our time is why is there not persecution in our churches in America. We actually live in a time in history in which persecution is at its highest rate around the world. We prayed earlier for the church in Nigeria. Boko Haram shows up on motorcycles and guns down villages, steals wives and children away from their husbands. Why? Because they belong to Jesus. 
in China. You lose your social security if you are a Christian. You are told that you must worship Mao and their president. You are ostracized from society. You lose your job. Why? Because they have a political position? No, because they belong to Jesus and are not willing to deny him. We are at a great disadvantage as people who live in a context in which it seems we are free to believe whatever we want so long as we keep it peaceful. So long as we don't talk about the things that rile up the evil in our world. So long as we just meet together and we don't talk to other people. I don't know what you think of when you walk down the street, uh, maybe before a sporting event, and you see a guy standing on a soapbox kind of just yelling Bible verses, and you don't really know what he's talking about, and you kind of wonder to yourself, is that helpful? Is anybody listening? I don't know if that's the most helpful way to evangelize. But what has been our response as we look to people like that, to the people we might think are crazies? It is to largely be no witness at all. I talked about last week, this call to abide in Jesus requires us to be people who are dependent on him in prayer. And yet, oh, we live such prayerless lives and we ought to abide in his word. And yet we don't read his word the way we ought to. I saw a video just past week of a, this little indigenous tribe getting the New Testament in their own language. And there was this great celebration as the plane was landing. They had waited years for the, just the New Testament to be translated into their native language. And they were overflowed in joy. And yet we have thousands of Bibles and we have taken it so for granted. It's, it's a moving video so that it reminds us of what great gifts we have been given. And now we are in an age in which we could be witnesses really with little to no consequence. The man who stands on the corner and preaches on a soapbox may get some jeers here and there. He may look himself to be a fool, but he is free to do it. And we may criticize different approaches to bearing witness to Christ, but too often we are content to merely be silent. I think the reason why we live this way, it's the reason why I live this way, the reason why I don't go out and stand on a soapbox or be intentional to go into those conversations with my loved ones and those people in my life is not so much this fear of falling away, but it is a different kind of fear. the fear that we would be rejected, that we would be considered a fool, that we would be unable to give a defense. I 
So much of the way in which we live our lives is seeking the approval of others, wanting to be included, wanting to be thought intellectual or successful. And yet the message of the cross is foolishness. It's offensive if we speak the gospel in a way that is clear. The reason the world hates Jesus is because the gospel is an offense to those who think they don't need it. I can think of nothing more offensive to people in our time than to say, One thing Jesus says here, you were chosen out of the world. God has chosen me out of the world. That is an offensive statement in our context. But far more offensive is the cross itself, which declares to all of mankind that they are sinners. That they are not just kind of have a little bit of problem, that they just need a little help, that God's just going to give them a band-aid, that if they try hard, God will help those who help themselves, but that the sin in our world, in the hearts of every single person is so wretched, so vile, so much deserving of God's wrath that Jesus Christ had to die. That's an offensive statement, unless you know your own heart. But this is the message that brings us the greatest hope, is it not? If we don't believe this message for ourselves, why would we believe it for other people? And I think that might get to the heart of some of the reason why we don't talk. There's this great video by the magician Penn Gillette. Maybe you've seen it. He's an atheist. And uh, after one of his shows, he talks about this guy coming up to him with a Gideon Bible. Uh, one of those little, you know, pocket Bibles. And he says, uh, you know, the guy was trying to evangelize me or something. I don't know. He, was, he said a lot of nice things. He was a nice guy. He seemed really sincere. And it... You could tell it moved Penn the way that this guy interacted with him. It was very sincere. Uh, Of course, didn't convert him. He's still an atheist. But he he comes on to YouTube and makes this video. I commend it to you. He, He says this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I mean, I don't respect that at all. If, if you believe that there's heaven and hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, uh, you would think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And you think maybe atheist people don't want you to proselytize them, so just leave them alone. He says, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of doubt that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe that the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point in which I tackle you. And this is far more important than that. I think the answer to why we don't evangelize, why we don't pray, why we don't read our word, right? I don't want to beat you up here and say, now go and do evangelism. 
We really want to get to the heart of the issue, the, the motivation for why we ought to do the things we do. I, I've told many people this in our new members classes as we've talked about different things. I often say, I, I don't want you to invite people to our church as we're starting a new church because I tell you to. I want you to invite people because you think it's something that is worth coming to. Right? And so the answer to our failure to bear witness, to be able to endure even some sort of social ostracization, let alone the type of hatred that Jesus is warning his disciples for here, is that we must be gripped with the gospel. We must do away with the lie that everything is okay, that it is just for me and it is just private and it's not a big deal or I can wait for it later what we need is God to convict us of the truth of his word abiding in his word right this is all a flow out of this true vine that as we abide in God in prayer and in his word and in his love we will speak his word we will love the way he loves by sending his son into the world to die for sinners The solution to our witness problem is a gospel problem. May God give us the grace to believe it, not just theoretically, not just for myself, but for what he has declared about the world. May we be moved, not in hatred, but in love that Jesus shows May he stir in our hearts love for those around us that compels us to share the things that are so dear to us, that life only comes by being attached to this vine, this true vine, Jesus. We didn't talk about it much last week, but those branches that are cut off, he says they're gathered up and they're burned in a fire. If we believe that these things are true, not only that people would escape punishment, of course we want people to escape punishment, but that they would have eternal life. Think of the good news that we can become children of God, be forgiven for the things that we have failed to do. Oh, that when we look to our lives, we would glory in what Christ has done for us, and that out of Meditation on what he has done, it would overflow in great care and love for those around us. When we are captivated by this truth, by the gospel, that's the thing. The disciples are going to see the resurrection and it is going to cause them to have to go out. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on them. They are going to have to go out. And Jesus says, yes, and when you go out, you are going to be hated. And it's okay, because they hated me too. Jesus is calling us to go out. We may or may not be hated in our time. Perhaps the day is coming when we will, when we may have to lose something more than our comfort. But while the time is here, may we respond to his spirit, the witness who goes out with us, who bears testimony to Jesus. May we not just warn people of wrath to come, but declare the glories of our Lord. 
the hope of eternal life, the forgiveness of all of our sins. And may we do so with joy, knowing that he is with us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit that empowers us, that reminds us of all that you have said and done, that bears witness about you in our hearts and goes with us as we bear witness about you to others. Father, we are in an age in which we do not bear witness for whatever reason, Lord, and we need your help to change our hearts. We need to be captivated by the glory of Jesus and love for our neighbor. Would you do that work in our lives? Would you encourage us as a church to be those who are not content to be silent, but to go out and be a light to the world? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.